Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, beautiful day to be a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in the beauty hood. That's such a weird line. A neighborly day to be a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? This is where you clap. Thank you. Uh, you know, I will say this. I love Mr. Rogers, okay? Um, and if you can't tell, if you're a first-time guest, we're, uh, you know, kind of playing off the whole Mr. Rogers neighborhood thing. Maybe you can tell by now with the cardigan and the singing. But, you know, in the 90s, those lyrics may have been fine. But today, they, they just feel a little weird, don't they, sometimes? I don't know. Beautiful, it's a neighborly day in the beauty hood. Anyway, I don't even know what that means. So, my name is Mike Cerati. I am part of the preaching team here at Compass Church. And I have to mention that I'm in slides. You know, I call these slides. Some people call them shower shoes. I think that's a knock on this brand of shoe. Um, typically, on the stage, we don't really wear sandals. It's kind of a faux pas. So this is a serious thing we do. But, you know, I mean, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he comes home, puts a cardigan on, and gets his comfy shoes on. So, these are 2018 comfy shoes. So, I thought, why not? So, I get to... Uh, preach in slides, my Nike slides. Uh, anyway, so we are in the middle of this series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And this series is all about basically asking the question, uh, what does it look like to be a really good neighbor? And maybe more specifically, what does it look like to be a godly Christian, friend, father, mother, spouse, or neighbor? What does it look like to live in such a way that we point people to Jesus simply by the way that we live? So today in this series, what we've been doing is we've been kind of jumping around through the scriptures and looking at different narratives and stories and texts that kind of help us look at this idea of being a godly neighbor. Today we are going to be in a book that some of you may find yourself a little bit unfamiliar with. It is the book of Philemon, okay? If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn to Philemon. It's in the back of the Bible, just before Hebrews. That should help you a little bit. It's a little bit hard to find because it's one page, okay? It's one chapter. We don't even have the like Philemon chapter one, verse one. It's just Philemon verses, okay? There's no other chapters, so it's a one-pager. See if you can find it. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't, or you can't find it because it's so small, we will have the text up on the screen, so don't, don't be afraid of that. All right? So Philemon, uh, it's a book that honestly isn't preached on very much, but is a powerful, powerful conversation uh, that I believe has a, a profound implication for how to be a neighbor, to be a good neighbor, or to, to be kind. What is a neighbor? The people around us. It could be family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, the works. So, Philemon, here's, um, there's, there's kind of something going on here that I want to make sure uh, we spend some time getting on the same thinking, processing page as the people in the church would have been when they heard this letter, okay? So there's some stuff going on here that is actually pretty uh, confusing and hard for the church to process, okay? So I want to get us there, all right? So I got a story I want to tell you. You with me? You ready for story time? Mr. Rogers' story time. Okay, here we go. 
This isn't a good story, by the way. I'm sorry about that. But um, Andrew Clark, our middle school director, about a week or a couple weeks ago, in fact, I heard that he told this story as an illustration for um, a message that he was preaching to middle school students. And I had to steal it because I think it's amazing. Essentially, uh, Andrew was scrolling through.
And before we dive into it, I want to make sure that we, we look at some very important details, because some of us may have never read this book before. If we did, we didn't quite understand all of it. There's four main characters in the book of Philemon. The first the first character is a man named Onesimus. This is the runaway slave, and it looks like he was also a thief. His name meant useful. Onesimus means useful, and it was a common name for slaves. This slave ran away from his slave owner, and it looks like, according to the text here, that he may have also stolen something from Philemon. Okay, so that's kind of one, one of our main characters. The second main character is Philemon, the slave owner. He's very wealthy, owns large property, and the church in Colossae meets in his house, okay? And we'll see this in the text, but it's important to understand that Philemon was the slave owner, Onesimus was his slave. There's two other characters. There's Apphia, who is probably the wife of Philemon, and she's significant because in the, in the family structure in those times, in the Roman times, uh, the wife often kind of dealt with the affairs of the home, so it was possible and probable, in fact, that Onesimus reported to Apphia more than she did Philemon. And then lastly, there's the Apostle Paul. In this case, it's important to understand this because Paul started this church in Colossae. Uh, Philemon's church is one of the house churches in Colossae that Paul started, and now, as this letter is being written, Paul is in prison in Rome. Okay, so he writes the letter while he's in prison and sends it off to Philemon's church, okay? All right, so those are our four main characters. The other thing that I want to talk about briefly is slavery, okay? And it's important that we talk about this because when you and I experience or, or say the word slavery today, we have a very different experience than, than what would have been experienced uh, as the church in Colossae would have heard this, okay? So here's a couple of things about slavery I want you to know. Number one, it was the lowest of social status in the Roman Empire. Slaves had absolutely no rights. In fact, slaves were like livestock and land. They were simply property. They were less than human. They were objects to be used to the best advantage of their masters. Okay? This is, this is crazy. And at this point in history, slavery was not as much a race thing, it was more of a status thing in the Roman Empire, okay? So it wasn't that all of one race or another was necessarily slaves, it was simply a status thing. And there were multiple ways that you could become a slave. Number one, it you could become a slave by simply being a prisoner of war. Number two, you could become a slave um, at some point because there's, there's a large market for slavery and money to be made. You could be kidnapped and then sold into slavery, that's another way. But what most likely happened to Onesimus was that he was um, what is referred to as the rescue of foundlings. And what that means is, again, back in the uh, Roman family time, the, the family structure in the Roman times, the father had absolute power. And if, if they had a child and for whatever reason the father didn't want that child, um, the father could and was commonly practiced to just put the child out on the street as an infant whatever age, he could just put it out. It was a girl, wanted a boy, whatever the case may be. And so there was a whole business that existed around taking foundlings, these child, children that had been put out, and then raising them enough to be sold into slavery. And the reason that I think Onesimus was probably uh, a foundling is because of his name. He was named a common slavery name, meaning useful. So it would imply that he was a slave really from a very, very young age. Uh, the other thing I want you to know about slavery is that slavery was common throughout the Roman Empire and unlike today was unquestioned. 
So today we would say that slavery is very unquestioned. In, in even the Civil War times, we would say that slavery is very unquestioned, or it was very questioned. Because there were people who believed in it, but there were certainly people who didn't. In the Roman times, slavery was really unquestioned. There were, were not very many critics or people who were trying to stop it yet. Even in the young church, this was likely the case. So as such, when we read about slavery in this text, we should not filter it through what you and I know about slavery because the slavery was much more brutal. And we need to understand, I'm sorry, brutal and widely expected. And we need to understand that when we experience this letter today as a church, we would experience that slavery concept very differently. As, as it was brought up in, in front of the church in Colossae, they would have been kind of weird to suggest that there was something wrong with it. We just weren't there yet. And it's with that attitude towards slavery, with that background, I think that we can now read Philemon and experience the letter a lot like the church did back in Roman times, okay? So now we're gonna dive right into it. This will be fun. So Paul, writing to Philemon, here we go. Verses one through three. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, who we think is probably their son, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, a couple things I wanna draw out here real quick before we move on. Number one, Paul refers to Philemon as a fellow worker, and in the original language there in Greek, I can actually insert the word friend. So Paul refers to Philemon as a fellow worker and a friend. This man, as we, basically we draw out of here, is that Philemon and Paul were very close, very close. He was loved by Paul and, and Paul considered Philemon on his level even as a fellow worker to some degree. And it's likely that Paul and Philemon have known each other for a while, that Paul established the church in Colossae and they meet in Philemon's home and Philemon has been a major player in helping continue to graze that church, okay? The other thing that these first few verses tell us is actually something very important and unique. You see, Paul does not typically, we don't see Paul's personal letters in scripture. Most of his letters are written to an entire church and an entire region to be read among, in front of many, many people. This is primarily a personal letter from Paul to Philemon, which makes it very unique amongst all other letters that Paul writes that we have in Scripture. It's a personal letter, okay? But what's, interestingly about, what's interesting about that and what we'll find out more about later is that even though it was a personal letter, as you saw in the greeting, it was meant to be read in front of Apphia, um, Apphia, Archippus, and also in front of the entire church that meets in Philemon's house, and that's gonna be significant in a moment. Personal letter to be read also in front of a bunch of other people. All right, let's continue. Verse four through seven. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and, the, and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now on the surface, this little greeting here, so we have the introduction and now this is a little greeting. This greeting actually looks initially very similar to a lot of the other greetings that Paul would write in other letters. But what's significant about this greeting can actually be found in verse seven. 
Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes when Paul would write a letter, he would do this nice fancy greeting, grace to you, Jesus Christ, and then he'd throw in a but, right? And then he's, and then he's hitting him with what he's writing about, right? There's this but, how quickly you've walked from your original faith, or something along those lines, right? We don't see that here. We don't see that here at all. In fact, in verse 7, we see that Philemon is not seen by Paul as someone who's done anything wrong. So Paul's not writing him a letter because Philemon's done anything. In fact, Paul states the opposite, that he's derived much joy and comfort from Philemon's love and because of the hearts of the saints, the saints were the people, the Christians in the church, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon. So Philemon's ministering to the people in his church and that makes Paul very happy. So Paul and Philemon do not have an issue. Don't have an issue. So why is Paul writing? What's about to happen? Let's continue here, verse eight, where we see uh, where things start to get interesting. Accordingly, so in other words, because of our relationship, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. All right, here we go. Now we're starting to see what's going on here. So Paul is appealing to Philemon for his slave that ran away named Onesimus, who somewhere along the way runs into Paul, Paul leads him to Jesus, and now things are different, okay? But what's interesting is Paul does not command Philemon to do this thing. What he's about to ask him to do, he's not, he's not gonna command him, right? And on the surface, you kinda go, well, that's cool of you, Paul. I mean, maybe you and Philemon are now, you've been working together long enough, and you wanna coach him along, see how he's doing, see if he'll just kinda listen to you. What a great, that's a good strategy, Paul. I'm, that's kinda nice of you, right? Before you get there, I want you to see something very, very interesting. As soon as Paul kind of throws out there the idea that he's going to appeal to Philemon instead of command him, even though he's bold enough to do so, Paul begins to fire off a series of reminders and well-crafted statements that pile on the weight for what he's asking Philemon to do. So what's going on, you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna command you, I'm just gonna, well, I'll appeal to you. And it seems all nice and fluffy, but then Paul continues. Listen to this. First thing he says, the first thing, is he refers to himself as an old man. We might read right past that, but in ancient times, the, the status of age, an old man, it meant so much. Men were, the old men were to be respected, they were to be seen as wise, they were to be listened to, okay? So for Paul to say, I'm gonna appeal to you, and then throw the old man. What we start to see is Paul goes, but I want you to remember, even though I'm just appealing to you, I'm an old man. In other words, you should probably listen to me. You should, you know. And, but that, and that's not enough. And then Paul throws the next thing on there. He goes, oh, and by the way, don't forget that I'm a prisoner for Jesus. Like I'm, in, I'm writing this to you from prison. It's almost like got the tattoo, he's proud of it. So I'm an old man and I'm in prison for Jesus, but I'm not commanding, I'm just asking. You kind of feel, it, it, it almost feels a little manipulative. Like, I see what you're doing here, Paul. I'm gonna appeal to you, but I'm gonna make sure that you understand who it is that's appealing to you, okay? And this is a great point. I'd like to do an illustration here just so we see this visually. And normally, if you if you're come to Compass Church a lot, you know our lead pastor, Tim Jacobs, he likes to draw, okay? So when he has a visual illustration, he'll draw, take a picture of it, put it up there. Um, 
Now, I'd like to do a visual illustration, but I didn't really wanna, I, I didn't wanna show Tim up in front of everyone today and do a drawing and prove just how bad he is at drawing or anything like that. So I thought, you know, I won't show him up because he's my boss, I wanna respect him. It's his birthday, you know, we, I won't do that. So I thought, I'll just go to Photoshop and I'll just create some images that kind of give us some visual. And then I won't really show him up. So I'd like to introduce you, my first image here, this is Paul, okay? Why did I choose, by the way, if you know anything about Bitmoji, this is a Bitmoji, this is Paul. Why did I choose you? I mean, look, this guy looks bold. He's got some age to him, not super old. He's got, you know, balding a little bit. Just looks super bold. It's like doing a mic drop thing, like, yeah, right? So that's Paul. I think that works out pretty well. And then this is Philemon, all right? Why did I pick this to be Philemon? Well, I don't know that it necessarily looks like him, but I like the fact that he's carrying weight. And I think that's a good visual idea here is that Paul's not commanding him, but he's putting weight on him to make this decision, okay? This Whatever, this, whatever he's asking him to do, it's going to be weight, and you just kind of feel it. But it's not enough that he just appeals to him. Paul's got to add some more weight. So then he says, I'm an old man. There's old man, and I'm also a prisoner for Christ. And so Paul's just piling the weight on. You feel it? Okay, so this is kind of what's going on here. I want you to feel this. So Philemon's getting this letter, and Paul's just piling on the weight. I'm not going to command you, but I know what I'm doing. Okay, so let's keep reading, because Paul's not done yet. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Yeah, you're laughing. You hear it too. You're going, whoa, Paul, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so as far as I can tell, there's four more weights that he's piling on here. Number one, I'm sending my very heart. Come on, Paul, like, you're the apostle Paul. You planted this church. You're like famous in my, I'm sending you my very heart. Okay, there's definitely another weight right there. The next one we see is, I would have been glad to keep him during my imprisonment. It would have been great for me because I'm in prison, right? Like, it would have been awesome just to keep him. There's another weight, right? I mean, you see what Paul's doing? Number three, I preferred to do nothing without your consent. Isn't that sweet? What a great guy. Here's more weight. I'm just a nice guy. I just didn't want to do it without your consent. I wanted your consent. And then last one, in order that your goodness might be of your own accord. I mean, we got some pile on here, don't we now? I mean, your goodness, your, so he's, now he's appealing back to the idea that he appealed. It's your choice. It's your decision. I just wanted you to have that, all right? Can I remind you? This is a personal letter written by Paul to Philemon, but who else was supposed to hear it? The whole church. The whole church that's supposed to be read in front of the whole church that meets in his house. What's he supposed to do? Nah. No, he, the, Paul knows what he's doing here. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Let's continue, okay? Verse 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And at this point, we see Paul kind of take a break from piling on the weight and, and throws a little bit of maybe purpose. He's trying to help Philemon see what's going on here, perhaps in a different light. Because from Philemon's perspective, Onesimus was gone. He ran, he didn't know where he was. Then Onesimus shows up carrying this letter, like, hey, 
Philemon's probably not feeling very fuzzy about Onesimus. The guy ran away and stole from him. This, this, he's probably hiding behind the letter a little bit, like, you know, this kind of thing, right? So Onesimus has a right, or I'm sorry, Philemon has a right to be a little bit upset. And so Paul's trying to cast some purpose and vision on this. Essentially saying, I know that it wasn't necessarily a good thing that Onesimus left you, but there's certainly good that can come from it. Maybe that's the reason he left. Before he was just a, a slave to you. And maybe not that useful to you. But now he's much more. Now he's more to you than he ever was. He's a brother in Christ, a brother to me, not just in the flesh, but also in the Lord. In fact, Paul seems here to be implying that Philemon should no longer consider him as a slave, but as an equal and a brother. Now remember what we talked about with slavery earlier and how it was viewed. I'm not sure if Paul's asking Philemon here to officially grant Onesimus his, his freedom or not, but either way, what Paul is asking is likely to be seen as a very significant ask, perhaps even a little bit shocking. Because remember, we didn't see Onesimus. I'm sure the church even knew about Onesimus. This is a home church, met in, met in Philemon's, and maybe Onesimus had served them at some point. And then he just shows up hiding behind a letter from Paul, and all of a sudden, like everyone's dealing with that emotion, Onesimus, and then they read this, like, oh, dang. This, this would have been read, I think, with some very serious emotion and conflict. This is why I told you the story about the young man at the beginning. I wanted you to potentially feel some of that conflict. What was the right thing to do? Should the parents have pressed charges? Should the parents have let him off? We can make arguments for both. Maybe some of us each have our own opinion. There's a little bit of tension there. I think that's what the church in Colossae would have been experiencing as they heard this letter being read. I want you to remember, Onesimus was a slave, property, less than human. His status was on par with owning land and livestock. And if that wasn't bad enough, he was a runaway thief. How could Paul ask them to see him any different? This was probably seen as a pretty audacious request, but Paul's not done yet. Let's continue. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Here Paul takes a radical request to a whole new level. I want you to see this. Receive him as you would receive me. You can almost hear the church going, this is the apostle Paul writing. If he were to show up, they would have stopped everything. They would have gathered the whole church. They would have killed the fatted calf. They would have put, had all the stops to receive him and celebrate him. And Paul knows that. And he's telling the church to receive Onesimus, the runaway slave, as they would receive him. You can hear the church going, what? You're joking, Paul. You cannot be serious. Receive a slave as if we receive our father. The one who told us about Jesus. Do you even know what you're asking? And then Paul continues, if he has wronged you at all, charge it to my account. You can hear the church, church go, stop. Just stop. This is too much. This is too insane. This is too crazy. You can almost hear Onesimus going, I, I have a right to be angry. 
This man stole from me. He ran away. He broke the law. If I put him to death, there's no one who would say I've done anything wrong. In fact, what would it tell the other slaves if I do what you're requesting, Paul? No, I have a right. In fact, I should put him to death. Charge it to your account, Paul. This is insane. And then Paul adds probably the heaviest weight that he's added yet. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I won't even bring up all that you owe me, even your own life. Won't even bring it up. <laughs> Won't even bring it up. There's the big weight right there. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, what are they supposed to do? And then he's got the cherry on top. Paul finally admits, yeah, just in case you can't tell, I want something from you. Refresh my heart in Christ. Bing, cherry on top. Read in front of the whole church. So why is Paul writing this? Why is Paul adding all of this weight? Why did he put it in the form of request and not a command? And why did he add all this weight? I think Paul wants Philemon, a leader in the church, to set an example by reacting to the situation in light of his new life in Jesus and not in light of the way that the world would have him react. And it's radical. It's a radical request. This means that Onesimus, what Paul is requesting, the lowest social status, a slave in the Roman world, no rights, was now in Jesus' name on a spiritual plane equal to his owner, Philemon, and with Paul. So Paul is requesting that he be treated as an equal and as a brother. This is crazy. The thing about this letter is it's so powerful and unique. What Paul's asking is not a necessarily new concept, this new way of living in the kingdom of God, but it's still very new in practice. This new way of living, this, this, this really was established years prior when Jesus was around, this kingdom of God, is really what Paul's asking the church in Colossae here to live under. And Jesus started talking about this in Matthew chapter five. In Matthew chapter five, he talks in, in, in the setting, so the world that they're living in at that point was that the religious, the godly people were those who knew God's word, who acted the right way, who smelled good and looked good, and, and just kinda knew that they had been obeying the law. So they were the super religious, super godly people. Those were the people in that time, in that culture that people thought God loved. And then Jesus shows up and in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew chapter five, he announces that there's a new kingdom, a new way of living, and he literally says in front of many people, now blessed are the spiritual zeros, those who have no hope that God would save them, those who have, nev no, have never lived the right way, have no idea what that even looks like, you're the ones that I came to save. He establishes in Matthew five, then he prays about it later in Matthew six, when he's showing us how to pray as he's praying to God, literally says, Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this new way of living, this new kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And then after Jesus' life was over, he hands that ministry off to a select few of men. Paul is one of them to carry that mantle on. And so Paul spends his entire life writing, establishing churches and writing to them about this new way of living that's different than the culture. And he writes to the church in Colossae, in Philemon here, but also in the book of Colossians the same church. In fact, those two letters were carried together. Philemon and, and, the, and Colossians' letter. In Colossians 3, 
Paul's talking about putting on the new self, and he says this in 3.11. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. In the kingdom of God, Paul's saying we are all equal because we are sinners saved by a loving God. In the kingdom of God, it does not matter what you've done, where you've come from, what color your skin is. No one is any better or any worse than the other. We are all set free by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul's calling this church, Philemon's church, to live in that new way. It's a beautiful letter, this little tiny thing that's asking the church to live in this new way in light of the kingdom of God of what Jesus has done. And I think that's our big idea. That's really what Paul's whole heart was. In the kingdom of God and its new way of living, we should treat each other like we have been treated by God. I think that's Paul's heart here. I think that, that's what Paul's calling Philemon to lead the way. And so yeah, I think it was such a radical request that Paul had to pile on the weight. So that when this letter was read in front of the entire church, Philemon almost had no choice but to lead by example or to abandon the whole idea of following God altogether. Those were his choices. Philemon exists as a perfect example of the audacity of the upside-down world that Jesus came to establish. It's a reminder that the kingdom of God will almost always stand in direct contrast to the values of the world. And that kingdom of God and its new way of living and the new king, Jesus, is exactly what this world needs and Philemon is evidence of that. So today, you and I, we can walk away from the book of Philemon in two different ways. We can apply this to our lives in two different ways. Very powerful, very simple, but very hard. The first way that we can experience and walk away from in our own lives as individuals and apply Philemon is this. We can walk away as if we're a receiver of the letter. What do I mean by that? Onesimus carried the letter to Philemon from Paul. Some of us in this room should apply Philemon to our life as if we're receiving a letter like that. Let me, let me put it to you like this. Followers of Jesus in this room, and really anyone, if Paul were writing a personal letter to you, just like he did to Philemon, who would he be asking you to forgive? Maybe it would sound like this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to, insert your name there, our beloved fellow worker, I appeal to you for blank. So, if you consider me your partner, receive blank as you would receive me. You feel that? For some of you, that's a pretty audacious statement. 
it'd be crazy to meet Paul, wouldn't it? We'd probably throw him a party, wouldn't we? Big feast, long embrace, maybe even some tears. Paul's asking you to consider receiving the person that you should be forgiving like him. Let me ask you a question. Who benefits when we treat our neighbors, the people around us, with the same grace and forgiveness as God has given us? Who benefits? Everyone. Everyone. You certainly do because you've been a slave yourself to anger and bitterness for so many years because of one person. And they certainly do because what an amazing gift to be forgiven. And then those around you in the church, and everyone benefits because what you've just done is attuned to the very heart of God. Our goal this year as a church is to invest and invite people here at Compass Church, and I have a question for you. What better way to invest? What better way to invite? What better way to be a neighbor than by showing people the very heart of God by letting them off the hook for whether they, whatever they've done wrong to you? In the kingdom of God, in this new way of living, we should treat each other like we have been treated by God. If you're here today and maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I, I, don't, I don't really have anyone that I can think that I need to forgive, Mike. I want you to lock Philemon away in your heart. I want you to remember it because you will. That's the way this world works. Some of us today, I believe God is calling us to forgive the unforgivable. And if you think that's crazy, go home again and reread Philemon until you see it. Because what Paul was asking them to do was insane. It's a new way of living. We're never meant to come face to face with Jesus and stay the same. Will you prayerfully consider forgiving the unforgivable because you and I have been forgiven. The other way that you can receive this letter as a challenge is actually as a carrier of the letter. Maybe you're a lot less like Philemon and you're more like Onesimus. Perhaps you've been running just like he did. Maybe you're afraid of what would happen if people knew the real you or if God knew the real you. Perhaps you've always thought that you were too far gone and you had done far too much for God to ever forgive you. And if that's you today, I hope that you see that Philemon has a powerful message for you because Philemon brings us face to face with the very heart of God towards you. Philemon shows us that God is not a God who sits on his throne looking to judge or to condemn you for all that you have done. No, instead, God is a God who sits on his throne hoping for an opportunity to show you that there is no end to his forgiveness. This is important for many of you here today. 
You see, over the years I've learned, as I've watched people who wrestle with shame and guilt, I've watched what people do, they push God away. When you're wrestling with shame and guilt, you don't want God to see that because it just, you're just admitting that there's something wrong and you're afraid that, that God is gonna reject you. I want you to hear God's heart for you today. So I'd like you to look again with me at verse 18 where Paul's addressing the wrong that Onesimus has done to Philemon. He says this, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Let me translate that for you. If you, insert your name here, if blank has done anything wrong or owes anyone anything, charge that to my account. Don't miss this. God has already charged your wrong, your sin, to his own account. And he did that and paid for it with his own life when he died on the cross and rose again three days later. Your sin has already been paid for. And I believe that God is calling you today to stop paying for it over and over and over inside of yourself with the shame and guilt that you've placed on yourself. I believe God's calling you, some of you here today to let him forgive you. Today I believe that you're here because God has brought you here to be set free from your shame and guilt, to place it all on him and to be made new. Would you pray with me? God, there's some of us in this room today who need to carry a letter to you just like Onesimus did to Philemon, God, except you don't need any convincing. This was all your idea to begin with. Lord, you've, for some of us in this room, you've been waiting for an opportunity to show us the endless depths of your forgiveness and your love. God, there's nothing that any of us could have done or been or started with or whatever the case may be. There's nothing, God, that you would be unwilling to forgive because your grace and your love can cover it all. Lord, I pray with all my heart, Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now who's been running from you because of the shame and the guilt and the sorrow and the knowledge that they've done wrong, that they would accept the fact, God, that you have already paid for it. And then it's time to be let off the hook and to be set free. That is exactly what you came to do. And your letter that you wrote through Paul to Philemon, God, is a perfect example of that. Lord, if that's us, may we just cry out right now, God, I need you, forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me and make me new. And Lord, I also pray for the, those of us in this room who have the task that you've placed on our hearts to forgive the unforgivable. Lord, whatever thing that we've convinced ourselves, whatever reason we've convinced ourselves to hold on to it, God, I pray that you'd help us to see that you've set us free from much more than what you're asking us to forgive today. Help us to see Philemon as a wonderful example of your heart and your expectations for followers of Jesus to live a new way and not the way of the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.